I would invite you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm 138 with me, Psalm 138. We began last Sunday considering the topic of how God speaks. God has spoken, and uh, the topic of is God still speaking today, and if so, how is God speaking, I think is one that's very important for us to consider. And as we saw last week, God is still speaking today, but He's no longer speaking through prophetic revelations and dreams and specific revelation as He did in the past, because we have the Scriptures the inspired and preserved Word of God. And God is still speaking to us today, but He is speaking to us through the pages of Scripture. Last week, we saw the sufficiency of Scripture, that what God has inspired and preserved for us is enough. We don't need any more revelation. We don't need to wonder if we have it all. God has given us His completed Word, and it is sufficient for everything that we need. All things that pertain to life and godliness can be found in the pages of the Bible. And so it's important then, because Scripture is enough, it's sufficient that we rely on Scripture versus our own thinking, our own ideas, our own feelings, our own whims, our own impulses, our own intuitions. None of those things are sufficient. Only God's Word is sufficient. And today we're going to stay on this same theme, but we're going to focus in on this truth about Scripture, and it's the supremacy of Scripture. Whereas last week we talked about how Scripture is enough, today we're going to consider this thought, that Scripture is the greatest revelation of God to man. In Psalm 138 and verse number 2, The Bible says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, please bless your word to our hearts this morning. May our minds be open to what you have to teach us. May we be willing to believe it, and to live by it. That your word would be the priority in our life, knowing it and living it, because it is supreme. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God has spoken to man in several ways. For instance, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. There is a sense in which all of creation is God's communication to man. Because in creation, God reveals Himself. It is a revelation. Man can look at the earth, at the sky, at outer space, and know that there is a God. And He is greater than we are. And that witness, that revelation, is seen by everyone. It's a universal revelation of God to man. How in the world people can look at the intricacy of creation and come to any other conclusion 
but that there is a great God who made it all is really mind-boggling to me. To believe in evolution, you have to reject literally all the evidence in the universe to believe in evolution. So God has spoken through creation. As a part of that, kind of a subset of that, God has spoken to man in his conscience. Romans chapter 2 talks about the conscience of man. How that in the heart of man, God, God put certain basic understandings about what is right and wrong. And so, for instance, you can go into a, a tribe that has never had any contact with the outside world, say in a jungle somewhere, and you can go in there, and there's certain things that they just understand is not right. They, for instance, understand intrinsically that murder is a bad thing. Now, that doesn't usually stop them from committing murder, but they understand it's not really good. They understand intrinsically adultery is not really good. That doesn't necessarily stop them from doing it, but there's a certain sense in which they understand these things aren't really good. And part of God's appeal to man, part of what, the way the Holy Spirit works in a person's heart to bring them to a knowledge of Christ is to convince them of their sin. And he, he does that in part using man's own intrinsic knowledge of there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And so God put that in the heart of man and so that, in a sense, is God's revelation. But neither conscience nor creation are the greatest revelation of God to man. They're not sufficient, as we saw last week. And they're certainly not supreme, as we'll see this week. In order to reveal all that man needed to know, God gave man something else beside creation and beside his own conscience. He has given us... His Word. Now, if you're a nerd like me and you really want to alliterate it, we'll say that God gave us creation, conscience, and the canon of Scripture. But we can just say the Bible, okay? God has given us His Word as a full revelation of all that we need to know. Now, I think it is important that we're careful how we say it because... The Bible does not contain everything we can know, everything there is to know. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't speak to, and there's certainly the Bible certainly doesn't reveal to us everything that there is to know about God because God is infinite. And even John at the end of his book, when writing about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said Jesus did a lot more things, but we can't write about all of it because even the heavens couldn't hold the scroll that it would take to write it all down. And so the Bible doesn't reveal everything, but it does reveal everything that God wants us to know about Him. And you're not going to find out anything more about God than you will find in the pages of Scripture. It is the greatest revelation. It's the greatest communication of God to man. God's Word is better than creation. It's, God, it's better than conscience. And it's infinitely better than the words and the ideas and the feelings and the thoughts of man. Man's words are inconsistent, unreliable, and uncertain. But God's Word is perfect. It never changes. It's always true. And it always accomplishes its purpose. So since God's Word is supreme, it ought to be the most important to us. We ought to live according to what God says and not what we think or what anyone else says. 
Today's message is what you would classify as a topical message, and I want to consider three topics from Scripture that the Word of God is greater than these things that we've touched on already in our introduction. Number one, God's Word is greater than the voice of creation. Now, I suppose there are some who would try to make the case that they don't need the Bible, they don't need Scriptures, because they... They interact with God in nature. I've heard people say, well, I feel like if there is a God, I'm closer to Him in nature than I am anywhere else. And as we've already established, you do learn some basic things about God from nature, but that is not enough. It's not sufficient for all that you need to know about God. And so we have Scripture that is greater than creation for a couple of reasons. Number one, God's Word is greater than the voice of creation because of its clarity, because of the clarity of the Word of God. Creation is very limited in what it reveals. Think of it this way. Nature reveals kind of the rough outline of God, just kind of gives you a a basic idea of His existence And the fact that he is a greater one than us. He's more powerful. Uh, He is, uh, uh, by extension then, someone who has the right to call the shots in our lives, tell us what to do. And that information that creation reveals is sufficient. It is enough to render man without excuse before God. But it's not enough in and of itself to bring man to the point of salvation. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1. I want you to see, I'm not just speculating or theorizing this morning about what God says of creation. But these are God's clear statements from His own Word about what creation reveals. Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 20. For the invisible things of Him, that is of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now notice this next phrase. Being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now Paul's making a case here that all of mankind is accountable to God for their sin. And he begins with creation here, pointing out that God has given a witness in creation to all the world, and it reveals God's existence, His eternal power, and His Godhead. Not only does it reveal it, but it does so in a way that everyone can understand it. No matter what language you speak, no matter what background you come from, everyone can understand from nature that there's a God. But creation does not reveal much detail about God. And it certainly does not reveal the plan of salvation. God did not write the gospel on the rocks of the mountains. God has chosen not to give the animals the ability to preach the gospel. Instead, God gave us His written word 
to reveal to us all we needed to know about Him and especially how to be reconciled to Him and have salvation. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. God's Word is greater than the voice of creation because of its clarity, about how how clearly it reveals to us who God is. One author explained it this way, Revelation excels creation in the clearness, definiteness, and fullness of its teaching. The name of the Lord in nature is not so easily read as in the Scriptures, which are a revelation in human language, specially adapted to the human mind, treating of human need and of a Savior who appeared in human nature to redeem humanity. Really think about it. That God chose to communicate to us in language that we can understand, in words that we could read for ourselves, the truth about Him and how we could know Him as our Savior. In John 1 and verse number 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. And that is John referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Later you read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's Jesus. Jesus is the living Word. And as we think about His connection to the written Word, Of course, the words He spoke that were preserved for us have become a part of the written Word, but He Himself was the living communication of God to man. He was God in the flesh. He is God, uh, the right hand of the Father now. But as you look at the ministry of Jesus, He also pointed man to the written Word as the final authority and the final source for salvation. Think about this. Jesus could have just said, hey, listen to me and you'll be saved. He could have said that because He is God and He is the living Word and everything He said was the uh, literally true Word of God. But He didn't. He made this statement in John chapter 5 and verse 39. He said, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The living Word of God pointed man to the written Word of God and said, search the Scriptures to be sure of your eternal life because the Scriptures testify of the Savior. God's Word is greater than the voice of creation because of its clarity, because it reveals to us everything we need to know about God and about salvation. But it's also, the Scripture is greater than creation, not only because of its clarity, but because of, number two, its durability. Its durability. What I mean by that is creation will one day pass away, and it will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know, I believe in global warming. Did you know that? You're not going to see me driving an electric car anytime soon, but I believe in global warming. 
kind of global warming I'm talking about, though, is 2 Peter 3.10 and other places of Scripture that tell us that everything that exists today is one day going to be consumed. It's going to be done away with. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to melt with a great heat. That's what 2 Peter 3.10 says. This world is going to vanish. It's going to be done with one day. The world will be, but not the Word. In contrast to the natural world that is always changing, that is one day going to end, the Word of God lasts forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 24 and verse number 35. And you look at creation, it's amazing as you, uh, as you think about how creation itself changes over time. Our family went some years ago and we visited uh, Jamestown and we went to the uh, Jamestown settlement where they were doing some excavations and and everything and and they had a map there that showed what the uh, settlement looked like originally compared to today and one of the things that amazed me was how that the shoreline had moved so far in just a couple hundred years. Like part of what was the original settlement is now out in the river, now underwater. Because the shoreline has moved that much. And you think about just how creation naturally changes through the processes of of rivers flowing and earthquakes and volcanoes and all kinds of things, wildfires. It changes the face of creation. And then, of course, we have man's involvement where we, we alter things, we move things around, we take this dirt over here and we put it over there and we build stuff and we do all of these different things. We carve highways and we make dams to make lakes and we change the face of creation as well. Creation is always changing, but not God's Word. God's Word never changes. So when I speak of its durability, it's not just the fact that it will be here forever, but it's the fact that it never, ever changes. God does not say one thing today, and then next week He says, you know what, forget that, I'm changing my mind, we're going to say this now. He doesn't do that. His Word never changes. It's eternal. Psalm 118, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I like that word settled because it means it doesn't change. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to become something different. So the Bible is supreme. It is greater than the voice of creation. Not only because of its clarity, because, number two, of its durability. The supremacy of Scripture. Notice, secondly, that the word of God is supreme. It is greater than God's name. The verse we began with, Psalm 138 and verse number 2, thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Shakespeare famously said, what is in a name, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. Well, that may sound good in a 500-year-old play, But I think we all would agree that our names are pretty important. If you've ever been the victim of identity theft, then you know how important your name is. When you've got somebody going around taking your name and using it for their own criminal purposes, well, then your name suddenly comes really, really important to you. Names are important because they identify who you are to everyone else. And God's name is important. It is important to Him. And all throughout Scripture, God has given us His name in so many different ways because that is part of the way we know who He is and what He's like. 
You look at the Jehovah names of God in the Old Testament. We look at the names of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and th- th- that's not our study today, so we don't have time to go into it. But all of the names of God reveal to us the character of God. And in fact, it's so important that it is only in the name of God that you can be saved. Acts 4 and verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. God's name is important. And there's going to come a day where at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so it's somewhat astonishing when we read in Psalm 138 and verse number 2 that the psalmist said, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God has elevated his word above his name. His word is greater than even his name. What does this mean? Well, first of all, it means that because His Word is greater than His name, His Word is the most dependable. It's the most dependable. You can rely on the Word of God more than you can rely on anything else. Think about it with me. If your Word is no good, then your name is no good. We understand this principle. You're only as good as your word. If people can't depend on your word, they can't depend on you. That's why Proverbs 21, 22 one says, A good name is, re- is better, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is, is something we should all want to have, to be known as a dependable person. But God says that's, and so God says, My word is greater than my name. He's chosen to exalt His Word above His name because by assuring the reliability, the dependability of His Word, He's preserving the integrity of His name. You see the connection there? If you tell me you're going to do something and then you willfully go back on your Word, you have now tarnished your reputation. Your name has been sullied. And so... He preserves the integrity of His Word to preserve the integrity of His name. The glory of His name depends on the quality of His Word. The two are inseparably linked. Somebody says, well, I really love God, but I don't really care much for the Bible. That's nonsense. It really is. I don't mean that in an insulting manner. It It doesn't make sense. Because how can you know God apart from His Word? And how how can you love God unless you read about Him and His love for you in His Word? One author summarized it this way, Moreover, the Lord lays all the rest of His name under tribute to His Word. His wisdom, power, love, and all His other attributes combine to carry out His Word. It is His Word which creates, sustains, quickens, enlightens, and comforts. As a word of command, it is supreme. And in the person of the incarnate Word, it is set above all the works of God's hands. The psalmist said in Psalm 56, verses 4 and 10, In God I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. In God will I praise His Word. In the Lord will I praise His Word. 
We don't think about this often. But when we praise God's word, we are praising God. We are praising the name of God as we praise the word of God because God's word is exalted above his name. So when we sing hymns like Holy Bible, Book Divine, Precious Treasure, Thou Art Mine, we are praising God by praising his word. It's the most dependable. And number two, because God's word is greater than man's word, it has the most authority. You know, a question we ask if we're told that we have to do something is often this. Says who? Says who? And the person will respond usually with a name or a title. You have to go the speed limit. Says who? Says that guy with the badge in the car with the blue lights. The police officer. The name behind the command determines the authority of the command. You know, if you got a letter from Pastor Chambers saying, uh, you owe me $1,000, you'd say, ha! All right, but if that same letter came and it said IRS on it, that'd be a whole different ballgame. The name determines the authority. And because God's word is even greater than his name, it has the most authority. One of the problems of the Pharisees was that they put too much emphasis on the authority of man's word instead of the authority of God's word. You know, Jesus said to them in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, they honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. No, God's word has the most authority because God's name is the greatest name and yet God's word is greater than his name. Therefore, we can conclude that God's word is the greatest. It's the most dependable. It's the most authoritative. And number three, as we think about the supremacy of scripture, God's word is greater than man's word. Now, this should be the logical conclusion of what we've seen already. But it's the point that we really need to get settled this morning. In Job, when the Lord finally addressed Job to answer his questions, he didn't really directly answer any of Job's specific questions. But rather, when God spoke to Job in in Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, God essentially said to Job, Job, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And in Job 40, verse number 9, here's a question that God asked Job to put Job back in his place. He said to Job, Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like Him? That's a good question. Can any one of us speak like God has spoken? No. No, God's word is greater than man's word. Number one, because it creates reality. You know how often we get in trouble because we think, we believe, we behave as if our words, our thoughts, our feelings, our ideas determined reality when they don't. But we live as if they do. I feel this way, so it must be true. And then we act upon that, and we end up in a whole mess of trouble. 
Our words do not create reality, but God's word does in a very literal sense. Genesis chapter 1, when God created all of the universe in the six literal 24-hour days of creation, how did He do it? With this pattern. The scripture records it this way. And God said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And over and over again, Throughout that chapter, God said, and it was so. 2 Peter 3, 5, For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. So when God says something, it literally, literally becomes reality. It literally creates truth. Our words don't do that. Okay, I can say whatever I want to say, and it's not going to change what is true. Reality was created by the Word of God. It is maintained by the Word of God. Hebrews 1, 3, all, uh, He upholds all things by the Word of His power. Why is this so important for us to get settled in our minds? Because we too often believe that our words are what determine what is real and that our perceptions are what determine what is right and what is wrong. What we say, think, or feel is what guides us, what drives us. And what determines in our minds what is reality. But that's false. God's word determines reality. And so what it means is that if there is a conflict between what we think, feel, and say, and what God says, guess who's right? Hint, not us. God is right. So when there's a conflict, we have to humble ourselves and say, I thought this, I felt this, I said this. But God's word says different, I must have been wrong. Why is that so hard for us though? Why is it so hard for us to simply submit to the word of God? And when we read on the pages of scripture where God says it, something is, just say, oh, I must have had that wrong. God's word creates reality. Man's word can change. Man's word can contradict, but God's word never changes, and God never contradicts himself. God's word is greater than man's word, finally, because God's word is the standard by which we will be judged. It is the standard by which we will be judged. Jesus said in John 12, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Revelation says that when everyone stands before God, the books, plural, will be open. And one of those books is going to be this one right here. The word of God. We're going to be judged by the word of God. You will never stand before God and answer or be judged by what someone else said. You cannot live by, well, so-and-so said this, or so-and-so told me this. However well-meaning that person may be, however much respect that you may have for that person, you will never be judged by their words. And more importantly, you will never be judged according to what, in the sense that, let me say it this way. You're not going to be judged by what you thought was right. In other words, you're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, okay, what did you think was right? And you're going to say, well, I thought this, this, and this was right. And then God says, okay, well, did you do that? 
Yes, I did this, this, and this because I thought it was right. And God's going to say, okay, well, you're good. That's not how it works. You're going to get to heaven, and God's going to say, here's the standard. And you might say, but I thought this was right. And God's going to say, no, that doesn't line up with the standard. This is the standard that we are all going to be judged by. Not our beliefs. God's not going to use that as the standard. He will judge our beliefs by His standard, you see. That's comforting. It really ought to be comforting. You think about it. If you were to be judged by what you think and believe, that's a moving target you can't even hit. I mean, do you believe everything today the same way and, the, and all the same things that you did 20 years ago? Probably not. You've probably learned. You've probably grown. You've probably had realized, oh, there were some things I thought before that were right, and they're not right. I see that now. It's comforting because we all know what we're going to be tested by. You remember when you were in school? I know for some of us that was a long time ago. But you had to go take a test. If you knew what you were going to be tested over, it was still hard, but at least you had something to go by. At least you had something to study for. You had something to shoot for. Do you ever have a teacher that would give you a test, and you'd look at that test, and you're like, I don't remember. He never said a word about What is this? I, I've, never even, I've never even heard some of these words before. What am I being tested over? I've had some teachers that do that. They'll throw in some random questions on a test, and I'm like, you know, what in the world does that have to do with this class? That's frustrating. It should be a comfort to us to know that we're going to be judged by the Word of God. That means that we can go to the Word of God and say, okay, I need to study for the test. I need to live by the Word. God's Word is supreme. It's greater than the voice of creation. God's even exalted it above His name. And it's certainly greater than the words of man. When Jesus was on earth, at the beginning of His earthly ministry, the Bible records for us that He was tempted of the devil. And in both accounts of the, in the Gospels of that, each time that Jesus was tempted, He responded to temptation by quoting Scripture. The living Word of God, quoting the written Word of God. And in the very first temptation, Jesus actually quoted this verse from Deuteronomy 8, in verse number 3. The verse says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither, by, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And so when the devil tempted Jesus to turn the rock into, into bread, that was a temptation because for Jesus he hadn't eaten in 40 days. It wasn't a sin for him to be hungry. He had a natural craving to eat something. And so Satan suggested, well, why don't you just turn that rock into bread? But to, for Jesus to do that, he would be exercising his power as God for selfish purposes. It would have been a sin. And the verse that he quoted really struck to the heart of everything about our life. When he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And proceeded out of the mouth of God. That was how he answered Satan's temptation. That was how he, the living word, lived his life on earth. 
And that is how you and I should live our life every day. Because God's word is supreme, it ought to be our priority in life. With heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, since God's word is greatest, it should be most important to us. We ought to read it. Not just to check off a list, but to truly know what God wants us to know. We ought to study it so that we can gain a deep understanding of those truths. Not just a surface level knowledge of trivia facts, but really understand what God wants us to know. We ought to hide it in our hearts. As the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Meditating on it day and night so that we may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Like Job, we ought to say, I've esteemed his word more than my necessary food. That's how important God's word should be to us. How important is it to you this morning?